Hello again. Welcome back to the In Not Of podcast. I'm Bria. I'm your host. And for today's episode, I want to talk about ballet. The working title that I'm thinking is Life Lessons from the Ballet Studio. So for a little background, I started ballet as an adult. I started ballet at 27 years old, which is kind of atypical. And it's taught me so much about my body, but it's also taught me a lot that's not tied to the physical at all. So I guess first I'll give you a little bit of background on how I got into ballet at 27 in the first place. This was January of 2021. I started learning literally through like Zoom, through the computer. I was entering my late 20s. I was feeling grateful for having literally survived 2020 um because we all know that was a wacky time to be a person and i had wanted to do ballet for probably half my life at that point i had wanted to start around 13 or 14 but even that is considered late to start because people are like oh you can't make a career of it if you start at that time you have to start when you're three years old or like you might as well not bother like that was the common kind of narrative around it um and as I was you know entering my late 20s and trying to figure out what brings me joy I thought I'm just gonna try this So I started and I quickly fell in love with it. I fell in love with how it made me feel. I fell in love with the feeling of being strong and beautiful at the same time. I loved the artistry of it. I loved the music, the every little movement from a tendu to a plie. And it taught me a ton that also had nothing to do with the physical. So I guess the first thing that it taught me is ballet taught me about belonging ballet taught me that i can and i will create space for myself and those who look like me or those who are not always included as a black woman a grown black woman starting ballet i definitely was you know a little bit apprehensive about feeling out of place or being surrounded by people who didn't look like me. I know that in some ways I've gotten used to being the only black person in a room, especially used to being the only black woman in a room. This was, you know, going to take that to even more of an extreme because for the first time I was thinking about what it meant to be the only person my age in a room. Was I going to be surrounded by children? I ended up being in a lot of adult classes and actually seeing just a variety of ages and people, especially because I started in kind of a like more urban city environment than where I live now. So, you know, I'd see a 60-year-old man, I don't know if he was 60, but I assume he was at least 60, just ride up to ballet class on his bike. I'd see, you know, the typical teenagers you expect, but also like people who could be their mothers or grandmothers, people of all ages. I'd see people of different sizes, and that was really valuable for me to experience. 
But it definitely was not always the case that, you know, I was in these classes that felt like they represented the vast diversity of people out there in the world and people who enjoy the arts and people who enjoy ballet as a form of dance. That was something that I had to wrestle with for sure. I definitely probably pretty often am the only black person in some of my ballet classes depending on when and where I'm taking it, especially now that I have moved to a more suburban area. And I guess I'm working on feeling comfortable in my skin while still believing fervently that I want the ballet world to be more diverse. I think I have the benefit actually of having come to ballet as an adult because it's a lot harder for those internalized messages about belonging or lack of belonging to negatively impact me with my, you know, fully formed brain that's done developing and, you know, having been in other spaces where I knew I was underrepresented and fighting through that discomfort anyway and making myself seen and visible anyway. But it's a challenge every time you have to do it. And to be clear, we shouldn't have to do it. I, in an ideal world, we would feel like we belong wherever we belong. But sometimes we still have to kind of push through that discomfort. And I also recognize, you know, a fair amount of privilege, even with the marginalized identities that I hold of being a black woman. I am a relatively thin black woman. And I know that body size is its own hurdle. Even the like, small little ways that my body deviates from the ballet norm. Like, um, how do I put this? There's like kind of the George Balanchine ideal, which I won't get like super into, but it can be kind of a like almost prepubescent look. Doesn't really lend itself very much to some of the natural curves that some of us have um, and I'm not that, but I do recognize the privilege that I have of being, you know, a woman who wears a size small, sometimes medium leotard in ballet class. The privilege of being able to easily find ballet wear that fits my body and is flattering on my body. But I'll go into one way that I have had to really make a conscious effort to fight for belonging in ballet for myself. And that is on the question of flesh tone, skin tone, ballet tights and shoes. I knew going into ballet, into my first ballet class, I really thought that the look of brown 
tights on brown skin and brown ballet shoes on brown feet was gorgeous. I followed Dance Theater of Harlem on Instagram before I knew how to do a tendu or a plie myself and I just loved seeing the representation of the way that their skin looks, the way that my skin looks, being shown as beautiful and professional and not just acceptable, but celebrated in classical ballet. And so I knew going into learning ballet, I wanted tights that matched my skin tone. I didn't want to be walking around in pink tights with my brown arms on the top. I wanted ballet flat shoes that matched my skin tone. If I had the privilege of ever being able to go on point, I wanted point shoes that matched my skin tone. And I had to do a lot of digging. I had to, you know, follow people on Instagram and see the brands that they tagged for their tights and their shoes. I would search on discount dance and look for inclusive dance wear. Um, and I had to push through the discomfort of when you sign up for ballet class at a new studio and you see like, oh, the dress code is black leotard and pink tights, knowing that, uh, and this didn't always apply to the adult classes, but just the, just seeing it in writing, knowing that I am not showing up in pink tights. I'm not showing up in pink shoes because that's not what I wear. I'm, you know, I'm a grown woman paying however much I'm paying for class there. If anybody says anything to me about it, I'll just leave and find another studio. This was, I was adamant about this. And, you know, it was a little bit of, there was a little bit of a mental hurdle to know that like, maybe I'm going against the grain with this. You know, I don't care if it's good enough for Dance Theater of Harlem and School of American Ballet. It's good enough for me, a hobbyist, and I'm gonna wear my skin tone ballet wear. And lots has been said about like how the ballet world centers whiteness. There's a good book called Turning Point, Point with an E by uh, Chloe Angyal. I'll link it in the show notes um, that I read that was really informative. Tons of people have said a lot about it, um, but suffice it to say, I really, really believe it's important to see more black people in the ballet world. And this has been really something that I've been able to keep front and center and see how it applies to other areas of my life. When I follow Brown Girls Do Ballet on Instagram, when I, at the time I was able to support through like a monthly subscription, Collage Dance Collective, which is a, um, basically like a black owned dance collective in the South, I believe in oh, Tennessee. If that's wrong, I'll come back in and correct it. But yeah, just basically like seeing the ways that we make space for ourselves in the ballet world and the ways that even me as a, a hobbyist who I've only been doing this for a couple of years, make space for myself in the ballet world. Even things as simple as trying to figure out, okay, what is a, what is a way to take the traditional ballet bun 
and make it work for my very thick natural hair or figure out alternative styles. Even just simple things like that, figuring out like how does my ballet hairstyle interact with my wash day, you know? And also figure out my own like ballet class aesthetic, things like that. It has, ballet has really given me the opportunity to be intentional about my own belonging and about taking up my fair share of space in a world that has not always opened itself up to people who look like me. Being able to say like, I'm here and I'm gonna make space for myself. That is one really important lesson that I have learned in the ballet studio and beyond. Another thing that ballet taught me is that I can make something beautiful and that it's okay to appreciate things because they're beautiful. I guess I'll start with that second part, but like, I think I felt a bit of shame about liking things simply because they were pretty or beautiful. And I'm not entirely sure what's behind it. I think ballet really gave me the permission to look at something and be like, hey, this is beautiful and I like that, I appreciate that. And I think that's amazing and really freeing to just give ourselves permission to enjoy beautiful things, the sense of calm that I get from watching ballet videos or looking at beautiful pairs of point shoes. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure to, I guess, be into things that are serious and it's okay to just like things because they're pretty and I know I said I know I said that maybe I don't really know what's behind it but sometimes I kind of connect it to working in design and that being kind of a field where sometimes it feels like someone somewhere is defining this is what beautiful design is this is what good clean design is and sometimes it can just feel like whoever says it the most confidently with the most Twitter followers is kind of like dictating and defining um, what aesthetic beauty is. And so for me, it's really nice to be in a space where beauty feels removed from the professional definition, I guess, of like, this looks good and this doesn't. It feels like a space where I don't feel beholden to someone else's ideal or idea of what I should be trying to emulate, at least not in the same way. Another incredibly gratifying lesson about beauty that I've learned from ballet is that I can make something beautiful with just my body. I can create something beautiful. And this is an important one for me because I have always been a person who wants to make something, who wants to put a labor of love into something and have it be seen, read, heard, appreciated. And throughout my life, I have found different ways of doing that, some more successful than others, some more gratifying than others. 
I really thought I wanted to be a fashion designer, for example, went to fashion school out of high school at 17. That didn't work out for me because I actually didn't like working with my hands, which I learned very quickly. But I've always really enjoyed writing. I've enjoyed finding little ways to make some kind of art, even when I haven't identified as an artist or somebody who really is like, oh, I'm really good at XYZ medium painting or drawing, whatever it might be. Just it's fun and exciting to have an idea and make something that I think is pretty. And so that's been a part of who I am for as long as I can remember, but never through dance. I've also, you know, obviously, as many people do, found ways to express myself through my hair and makeup and fashion, the way that I dress, the way that I accessorize. That's a big thing for me. I have found ways to create my definition of beauty by decorating my body but this ballet is the first time where i have felt the ability to create something beautiful by moving my body that's been a really unique experience for me actually i have often just associated forms of movement with the process to an unhealthy degree honestly of beautification of the body. Movement was a means to an end, a way to get sculpted muscles or calves or abs or whatever it might be. But the movement itself, the, the point of it wasn't beauty. The point of it wasn't enjoyment and the joy that I get from creating things. In the past, I would never feel about moving my body the way that I felt about writing, where it was worth doing just because I could put something beautiful together. It was always a means to an end. And it's been really, a really valuable lesson for me to learn that movement can be a way that I create beauty. My body can be not just this thing that I display, that I decorate, that I adorn, but this vessel through which I create something that I find beautiful. Not even about other people, like I don't perform ballet for anyone, for example, you know? Not even about other people seeing the way that I move and being like, oh, that's great, but just me feeling like I'm creating something beautiful with my body at almost 30 years old. Like, it's a new experience for me and it's a beautiful one. It's a lesson that I think I had to, I had to learn. It was time for me to learn. There's something about being able to see, I think this is beautiful, I think that's really pretty, and then being able to participate in it. And also, by participating in it, I'm not just, you know, like throwing my hat in the ring the way that I would be like, oh, I thought that that was like a really well-written article. Maybe I should write something of my own. But like the fact that dance 
can be a group collective activity. The fact that I can see myself standing at the bar doing rondejambes in line with the group and appreciate in the mirrors like, wow, this looks really pretty. And I am one of the beings creating this beauty right now. That was really exciting. And I think there's something fundamentally human about it, like wanting to sing along to a beautiful song or dance with a group. Um, and I've like sung before. That's been, that's also been a great experience for me, but this, this relationship with movement has been really empowering. There's something empowering about knowing that if I work at this, I can use my body to create these beautiful shapes and movements. I don't just have to spectate. I don't just have to, you know, dress a certain way and be a decoration. I can be physically a part of something beautiful. The next lesson that ballet taught me is another one that I really think it was, it was overdue. It was time for me to learn this in my life is I can do something for the joy of it. I can do something because I like it, because it makes me happy. So when I started ballet, you know, I got questions and honestly, I probably asked myself questions too. Like, what, what are you gonna do with it? Why ballet? Are you gonna perform? Is it just for exercise? What milestones did I wanna check off, you know? I was trying to come up with answers to these questions of like, why, why do ballet? What are you going to do with ballet? And I saw ballet influencers and thought like, oh, do I just have to get good enough at this to monetize it? Like, what, what is the end goal for ballet? And something that was really important for me and that is more recent, I think, in the development of my relationship with ballet is that the answer to what am I going to do with ballet is I don't know. And that is okay. And that's actually a good thing. As adults, we are often expected to have a plan for everything. We are expected to have this like concrete goal related to everything, especially the older we get. And we lose a little bit of that, that kind of beautiful inner child experience of play and doing something because it's fun, doing something because it brings you joy. It's not making you any money. It's not, you know, helping you meet your future husband or future wife. It's not, it's not a means to an end. And it's okay to not have this like plan for what prize am I going to get at the end of this quest? for people like me who are into video games. What's the incentive? What's what's the reason behind it all? The reason behind it for ballet is that I love it. And I think up until really recently, I was kind of scared to admit that to myself and scared to own that. I do it because I love it. Will I ever perform? Who knows? Maybe not. Is it just a form of exercise? Absolutely not. Definitely not. I can't imagine 
being so into a form of exercise if it were just a means to an end or just a way to you know make sure that I live long and have strong muscles and bones you know I just love it and I'm getting more comfortable saying I just love ballet I was talking to my therapist actually pretty recently about like how I didn't know what my next goal was for ballet. I had learned, you know, so many different steps. I'd finally gotten point shoes. I'd been on point for a year. Um, so what was gonna be my next big milestone that I'd check off? And at the end of that session, we came to the conclusion, oh, I don't have one and that's, Fine. I don't have to be trying to figure out what's my next big move with it. I can just keep doing this because it makes me happy and me being happy is a worthwhile pursuit. Me feeling joy is a worthwhile use of time. I think especially as women, sometimes there can be a sense of guilt when you're doing something just because it makes you happy. It's not, you know, for the good of the family or whatever. It's not to like stash away money for your kids' college savings. And sometimes we can get this idea that it's selfish to do something because we love it. And really, we need to be taking care of ourselves. I'm not a parent yet, but I would hope that when I have children, they see me spend time on things just because they bring me joy. I want to model that because that's what I would want for others. One thing I learned is the absurdity of the idea of it being too late. Just how wild that whole concept is and yet how pervasive it is. I think especially for those of us you know, in our 20s, there's just this really strong sense of this has to be done by this date. I have to like establish myself. I have to prove myself. And probably a bit of that is just normal human development, you know, becoming an adult, being seen as an adult and wanting to really like prove that you're okay. You're a grown up. You, you did it, you know, but we as a society put a lot of pressure on ourselves to have ourselves figured out and defined and established to have this narrative of our life be this complete story that's basically done by the time that we're if not 30 like 35 we have this need to tell everybody who we are and stick with that story that narrative relatively early in the grand scheme of how long the average human is blessed to live on this planet but before we hit the halfway mark we're like okay that's that's it that's the story i put a lot of pressure on myself to have this complete narrative of who i am really early i see people around me and i think that they have established who they are faster than I've established who I am, that they have this cohesive narrative of 
they did this at age 18 through 19. Then they were like a prodigy in their design field from age 19 to 26. And then they became like the head of everything design related from like 27 to 30. And then that's it. Like that's the story. And that's really early to think, okay, well, I need to have a total narrative of who I am by age 30. And I have held myself to that standard. I have really for a long time given myself just completely arbitrary deadlines. When I was 22, I was like, I need to be pregnant by 26. And then I need to get pregnant again at 28. And then I'll have one more at 30. Like I just had this just irrational timelines, <laughs> truly irrational timelines for how I needed to divide up the chapters of my life and check things off of a list, which is bonkers actually. Um, and it's not how life works. And I think it reflected a lack of emotional maturity on my part. I think I've had to grow into the idea that there's not a set timeline during which I need to prove anything to anyone. I need to trust my internal, intrinsic sense of self and what I believe is the right move for myself. And that is gonna get me where I need to go at the timeline that I need to go. Um, so detaching yourself from external timelines kind of a long-winded way to bring it back to ballet, but there's a sense of starting late in ballet. And I think it's actually one of the like prime examples of where this external timeline gets very, very early on imposed onto people, children specifically. And I think that actually seeing such an extreme example of the idea of it being too late or starting late kind of forced me to acknowledge the other ways in which that whole concept is absurd. You're looking at this very extreme example where someone starts ballet at 10 years old but you're being told like, mm, you're gonna have to catch up with the other kids in class. You recognize how insane that sounds, right? Um, the idea that you could start something while you're still losing baby teeth or before you've gotten your first period, but you're a late starter, that sounds bonkers. And I think that is something that I when I started ballet, I was like, if even middle schoolers, 11 year olds are considered late starters, then then I'm just gonna go for it. And doing that was one of the best decisions that I've made. And I think that just forced me to confront head on the absurdity of the idea of things being too late. It's not too late for you to do ballet if you have a body and you are interested in doing ballet, period, you know? 
that lesson I've had to face very head on in a very immediate way and facing it in this pretty like extreme example has allowed me to extend that grace to myself in other areas of life. I can learn something new even though it's late to learn it, you know? I can detach myself from external timelines in other ways. I got my driver's license, for example, at 17, which is the typical age to kind of do that, but I had so much anxiety about driving that I really almost never drove for almost, what, nine nine years? And I've just been able to just give myself grace, I guess. Like, yeah, I was really afraid of doing it for almost a decade, but I do it all the time now. I do it every day now. Um, so just one area of my life where I'm able to extend that grace to or learning new skills at work or even just opening myself up to the idea that I can try something new. I've been learning how to swim and I think a part of me in the past was just like I'll just kick this down the road and maybe at some point you know my husband will stop nagging me to learn how to swim because he'll be like oh she's like 102 years old what's the point in her learning how to swim now but I have proven to myself that I can learn things on my own timeline. I can come back to things on my own timeline. And that's been really important for me to learn. And then one of the biggest life lessons that I have learned in the ballet studio, one that I think everyone I know can use some of this in their life, I think everyone can take some value from it, is the value of having a growth mindset. This is huge and ballet has 100% strengthened this conviction for me that it's so important to have a growth mindset. It has taught me in this like visceral, physical, mental, emotional way that yes, it is okay and maybe even good to be bad at something at first and to get better. And this was really important for me to learn. I have been a chronic overachiever. It's been a theme my whole life from as young as elementary school i've just really felt this unhealthy need to be the best at things really not liking doing you know things at pe if i wasn't good at them and then just writing off like all of gym class or pe because i didn't like not being the best one or not being good at it. I carried this through so, so much of my life. You know, the kind of classes that I would take because I knew that I was already good at them and could get a good grade at them. 
as late as college. Um, so I went to UC Berkeley and there was this sort of website you could look at on that was like the grade distribution from previous people who had taken the course. You could see how many people took the class and of like the people who took the class, how many people got A's. And so what I would sometimes do when I was really on the fence about taking a class is I would look at the distribution of people who got an A, a B, a C, an A minus, cause I got that granular. And I would calculate just based on like pure numbers, what is my percentage chance of getting an A in this class? And it was to that degree, like even A minus, like I would be like, uh, I'm not really even gonna count that. I'm gonna count that as a failure, you know? So I would go through and I would calculate how many people got A's or A pluses in this class? Statistically, how likely is it that I get an A or an A plus in this class? And if it was too low, that would make me not take the class if it was an optional class. And I would find another class where I could get an A. And you know, looking at that back now, that's some people might think like, oh, that's an impressive amount of like pre-planning. But I am honestly a little embarrassed by it because it's it was me boxing myself in. It was me thinking that it was such a bad thing if I got an A minus or a B plus or a B that I didn't want to explore that class or learn those things. And to be fair, like, I'm sure not all of that is my fault, you know, like being a black woman, knowing that the world can be pretty harsh on us and that a lot of the time perfection is expected of you, even when it's not expected of others. And there's a lot of pressure to prove yourself. I understand a little bit of where I was coming from in just holding myself to an unrealistically high standard because I knew that the world would also hold me to a crazy high standard. But some of it was my own internal fear of not being excellent. And ballet has been this place where I don't have to have that and where it would be futile for me to have that, you know, because I started at 27. I'm not going to be Misty Copeland ever in my life. And going into it with that mindset of I'm here and I have to decide why I'm here because I know it's not to be the best in the class. That's not why I signed up. I want to learn. This is something that I have no idea how to do when I first started. I don't know the positions of my feet. Like I need to be told everything and I need things explained to me. Not even like I'm five, like I'm two and a half. Like I'm just learning what feet are because that's how difficult ballet was at first for me, especially as someone with zero dance background. And ballet has been this place where I can just be like, yo, I literally know nothing and that's okay because that means look how much that I have to learn. Of course, it's a good thing if I'm showing up to class and I have a ton of questions and I don't know which foot you step on first when you're doing like the pot de beret. 
I don't know whether I'm supposed to land with my left leg in fourth position. Like, I don't know these things. I'm paying money so somebody can teach me these things, you know? Um, I have had to really embrace being bad at something at first and let go of this fear that I was carrying for so long about if I'm bad at something, that's the end of the world. That says something about my character. It means that like, I fundamentally am just missing something that other people have. And the thing is, other people have it because they started out not knowing it and they spent the time learning it. And that's something that it seems like such a basic thing, but I had to learn it at my big age and it just bleeds into all the other areas of my life in a good way, in a beautiful way. This growth mindset, this approaching things like a beginner and seeing that not as this setback or this bad thing about me, but instead as this huge opportunity to just keep growing and learning things and being able to do something the next week that I couldn't do before. It has forced me to get away from this mindset of I can't. Um, because everything in ballet, when I started out, I couldn't. And then I realized it's not about like someone else can and I can't. It's that I can't do this yet. Or to put it better, something that I apply in other areas of my life to this day and continue, I hope to continue to apply, is getting away from saying, I can't do X. And now what I do is I try to say, I don't have the skills to do X yet. And that is such an important distinction. There's so many things in the world that I don't know how to do yet. There's so many situations that I haven't been through yet. And being able to look back and see the things in ballet where I used to be like, I can't do a pirouette. I cannot do a pirouette. And looking back and realizing I did not have the skill set yet to do a pirouette yet. And then I learned and I did God knows how many terrible failed fall on the floor little movements until I learned. And how many more things in my life will that apply to? How many more things did I not know how to do yet until I learned how to do them? And really an offshoot of this idea of the growth mindset is starting over. A huge thing the ballet has taught me is that it is okay to try again tomorrow. It's okay to try again tomorrow. And I wouldn't be learning if I did everything perfectly the first time. It's helped me feel more okay with starting over just even with 
not even necessarily starting over, but taking what I learned last time, what went well, what didn't, and applying that. I even apply this to my own mental health of, you know, when I get lost in like a cognitive distortion or a thinking trap in a situation, I can identify the trigger or like what the thought was and think instead of, oh, I really went off the deep end, like, oh, just had an awful day. Oh, well, I can say next time I will use the tools that I have learned to adapt and respond differently to XYZ situation. And that's something I have to do every single ballet class is, oh, this time I was moving my arms pretty jerkily during the um, ronde jambe combination because I wasn't sure where they were supposed to go and I was rushing through it. And maybe I'll do it again the next time and maybe the time after that, but I'll be aware of the thing that I'm trying to build on. I can try again the next time. I don't have to do it perfectly the first time and I will not do it perfectly the first time. And that's okay. That means that I'm learning and I'm growing. So that's about all I have. And I hope you have your own ballet. And it doesn't have to be ballet, it doesn't have to be dance, doesn't even have to be a form of movement. But I do hope you have your own thing that fulfills those needs for you. Something that lets you know that you belong and you can carve out belonging for yourself or others, even when it's challenging. Something that allows you to appreciate beauty and create beauty on your terms. Something you can do for the joy of it, not to make money or prove anything, but because you deserve joy in your life. Something that reminds you that it's never too late, that you can always be growing. I really hope that this very specific example from my life has takeaways that you can extend to your life. And also, if you feel so inclined, I'll include a link to my little point shoe fund in the show notes if you're interested in a way to support me as I create this podcast. Um, point shoes are one of the more expensive supplies in ballet, and due to some personal things going on, they've become, you know, pretty expensive, and I worked really hard to get on point, so I've set up a little coffee link that if you're feeling giving, you can help keep me on point. Um, Thank you so much for listening and I'll look forward to chatting with y'all in the next episode.